We're in First uh, Peter chapter three this morning. Uh, um, really, the, at the core of what Peter's talking about here is this: there's this rebellion. There's just this rebellion against authority that resides in the hearts of all people, uh, not just your kids, everybody. Uh, we want to be the authority. We want to be the ones who have the, the freedom to call the shots in our lives, always. And so we struggle with submitting to authority, any, any kind of authority. And again, it's not just kids and parents. It's not just workers and bosses. It's not just people to their government. It's not just wives and husbands. It, no, any kind of authority frustrates us. And really, that, that all started back in the garden. Satan was able to plant these seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really, did he really say that you couldn't eat of that fruit? I mean, you won't really die. He just, he just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. If you eat, you'll be the one who's in charge. You'll have authority. So the fall is nothing more than just open defiance against God. Rebellion against God's Word and God's will. And the result was exactly what God said it would be. Death. Spiritual and physical death. The result was this curse that's been passed down to all of us who are descendants of Adam and Eve. One that we're born into. And it's a curse that, that has real, everyday, lasting effects on us. And the cure, the, the solution to this curse is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole reason that Jesus came was to break the power of this curse. By His death, He's earned us eternal life. By His wounds, we're healed. He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. And now through faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life forever. But we also have, we also have new life right now, today. We have freedom from this sin and this selfishness that leads to open rebellion. We can live now in uh, uh, an ever-increasingly Jesus-like way. Which means we can, we can live in a way that's forgiving and loving and gracious and patient, treating others differently. Because we're not slaves to the same rebellious nature that led to the curse in the first place. No, we're free from the power of that curse. And here in 1 Peter, uh, he has spent the whole first part of this letter reminding believers of, of who they are and who they belong to and where they're headed. He reminds us of this fact that we're saved through faith in Jesus and we are strangers and aliens down here. Our true home is in heaven. And because of that, we are significantly different now. We are changed There's something that's taken place inside of us 
that has changed our standing with God and, and changed our very nature. And this transformation is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who is living in us. And, and that Holy Spirit is, is transforming us. And that, that process is a process that doesn't happen instantaneously necessarily. It's, a, it's a, a gradual process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ that takes our whole life and isn't finished until we enter into heaven. And it's something that Jesus modeled for us. He's our example. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. Right before uh, this, this reminder of Jesus as our example, Peter instructs us as believers to be a good example to Gentiles. Set a good example to those who are unbelievers so that at the end of the day, when Christ comes back, they will give Him the glory that He deserves. And then Peter tells us, instructs us to submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He lists things like kings and governors, but I think this could also apply to law enforcement. Really, anyone who's been put in a position of authority over us. We're to submit to them and respect them. And not, and not just the good ones, not just the good leaders, but the bad ones too. And not because they do things that deserve our respect. Remember, again, the, the emperor at this time is Nero, who's not a very nice guy. Certainly not very Christian friendly. Now we're supposed to submit for the Lord's sake. Because God tells us to. Because it's the will of God that we act in that way. Be, because we trust Him, we'll do it. And then, and then Peter tells us to submit to our employers, to, to respect our masters, those who've been put in that position of authority. Not, not just to the gentle ones, but also to the unreasonable ones. And again, God promises a blessing for those who act in that way if we'll trust Him. Because there's, there's something about submitting that honors God. Even when we're submitting to fallen, broken, messed up leaders. I don't know if maybe it's, it's God's way of teaching us to be more humble. Maybe it's a part of, of unwinding that rebellious heart that we're all born with. Maybe because when we're submitting, it requires us to act with love and with grace and with patience. And God would rather have us act that way because the opposite of that is acting in a way that's mean and selfish and evil and contempt-filled and bitter. 
So God would rather have us submit with grace and patience, even with people who don't deserve our respect, even when it's hard to show respect, even when we don't feel like it. So Peter says uh, to us as Christians who live in a world filled with unbelievers who are in positions of authority over us, uh, submit to them. Just just be cool. Just be gracious. Submit to every human institution. Servants, submit to your masters. And then in verse 3, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands uh, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, uh, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling Him Lord. And you've become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So Peter's instructions uh, to wives here uh, continues in this train of thought about how we're supposed to relate to people who are in positions of authority over us. And, and I, don't, I don't really think that this idea uh, that a, a husband is supposed to be a, a leader in the home is something that's all that like scandalous uh, or controversial here, at least, in this room. Uh, and, and I get that it isn't a particularly popular idea out there anymore, but I think we understand what the Bible teaches about it. I think, I think we get that the Bible says about how we're supposed to act as husbands, right? I think most husbands in this room understand that. We don't always do it, but I think we get it. And that doesn't mean that it's not still difficult to live it out, right? I mean, again, we understand what Peter has to say about submitting to like the government and our boss, and we don't always do that super well either. This, this struggle, this tension between husbands and wives is not a modern invention, though. I, that's why Peter writes these words, b- because it's something that's existed forever. It's always been a struggle. In fact, this struggle goes all the way back to that curse that I mentioned earlier. After the fall, God cursed Adam and Eve, and here's what He said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's supposed to be this beautiful compatibility, this beautiful cooperation, but instead now because of sin, because of the curse, there's competition. And the only solution to that that competition between husbands and wives that's a result of the curse, the Gospel. The Gospel is the solution. It's Christ-like humility displayed in humble, sacrificial love for one another. 
And I know that this idea seems crazy to us as, as Christians, as believers, and it seems even crazier to the rest of the world. But the gospel really does change things. It really does have an effect on our lives and on our families and on our communities and on our world. Peter starts off his instructions to the wives here by asking them to submit to their husbands. And that word submit is the same one that he's used a couple of other times. It just means to come underneath the covering of. Husbands are supposed to be protectors. And part of that involves deflecting harmful things and doing what's best for your wife. And the responsibility of the wife is to... to, let her husband do what God created him to do. And, and I, I get that sometimes that's as hard to do. It's hard to submit to your husband because sometimes they, they don't take their responsibility to lead seriously. Or they don't lead well. Or they don't do what's in the best interest of their wife. But instead, sometimes husbands act a little selfishly. They sometimes don't want to bear the responsibility of leadership. (laughs) Here, Peter's asking wives to place themselves in that position of allowing their husband to lead. To trust him with that responsibility. And to encourage him in it. And to not wrestle him for the steering wheel. The parallel passage to this written by Paul It's found over in Ephesians 5, where he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So the the illustration that Paul uses is one of the church placing itself under the leadership of Jesus, which is great, right? Except some of you wives might be saying, yeah, that's awesome, except my husband is not quite as (laughs) Jesus-y. even close, right? It takes a measure of faith to submit to an imperfect husband and then trust God with the rest. Now, usually uh, somewhere at this point, we got to start asking the what if questions, right? That's, that's the thing that comes to our mind for, well, what if, what if he's abusive, physically abusive, Then leave, then run, then call the police. Call me, I'll come over and talk to him. Call somebody. What if if my husband wants me to do something that's sinful? Don't do it. We we have an obligation to obey God. Respectfully decline. What what if my husband is unfaithful? Man, that that is a deal breaker. That's a vow breaker. Like even if you weren't married in a church by a pastor, even if you were married like on a boat or by a justice of the peace, probably at some point in your exchanging of vows, the word faithfulness came up, right? That matters. That's, that's important. I mean, there are definitely exceptions to this command that Peter's sharing here, but please don't ever feel guilty or unchristian for standing against abuse and law-breaking or infidelity. 
But for most wives, Peter understands it's probably more a matter of showing respect to a guy who just sometimes doesn't really seem like he deserves my respect. But Peter calls wives to respect their husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. For the past, uh, I don't know, a couple months, I've been doing this Thursday night growth group on building healthy marriages. And the main book that we've been using to guide our study is one that's called Love and Respect. And I love it. I love this book because really all it is is like a deep study into Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. All it is is this guy who thinks, who believes that those passages in Scripture are really a, a roadmap to strong, healthy, good marriages. He spends a lot of time in the book talking about how the main need for wives is love. And the main need for husbands is respect. And that's, that's why Paul and Peter tell wives to respect their husbands and tell husbands to love their wives. In the book, he talks about how men are supposed to unconditionally love their wives. And and I think that that's a concept that sounds normal to us, sounds obvious. So yeah, of course, you're supposed to love your wife no matter what. That's real love. That's true love. That's, That's sacrificial, selfless, agape love, right? When we just love them no matter what. But, he says on the other side, wives are supposed to unconditionally respect their husbands. And that's where most of us are like, whoa, wait a minute, that's weird. Uh, He has to earn my respect. He has to work for my respect. He has to deserve my respect. You want me just to show like selfless, sacrificial, unconditional respect to my husband? I don't know. I know it seems weird, but just like husbands are supposed to love, even when they might not feel like it, and even when your wife might not be doing things that you think earn your love, we still got to love them. Wives, you need to show respect to your husbands, even when you don't feel like it, even if he isn't doing things that you think are earning your respect. Okay, but what if my husband's insensitive? What if he's just a big jerk? What if he's mean? What, what, what if my husband does dumb things? What do you mean, what if? Like, I can guarantee you as a man <laughs> that we husbands will do dumb things. We are not perfect. And I, so I think Peter assumes that you're going to be married to an imperfect man. And I think he knows that it's going to be hard for you to show respect at times. It's almost like he knows that there's going to be some differences of opinion between wives and their husbands. And again, that's why he's writing these words. So we need to be reminded to to be respectful, especially during those times when it's hard. Be respectful and be gentle. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Uh, Your adornment must not 
be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, now this, is not a, this is not a prohibition against like wearing pretty things and putting on dresses. That's, that's not at all Peter's point. And if that's all that you see here, then I, th- I think you missed the point. The, the point is who you are on the inside matters way more to God than what you look like on the outside. A beautiful wife is not merely one who has nice hair and clothes. It's the wife who has a gentle and quiet spirit. And and this doesn't mean that as a wife you have to be uh, mute or passive. I mean, just go look at some of the qualities listed in the uh, Proverbs 31 wife. Look at some of the things that she accomplishes. She's hardworking. Uh, she's smart. She's shrewd. She's faithful. She's generous and giving and caring. She's respected by others. Uh, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue, it says. Her kids rise up and call her blessed. And her husband does too. Nowhere in Proverbs 31 where it's describing this wife does it say anything about like how great she looks in a swimsuit or how evenly applied her makeup is. That's just not a part of it. No, in fact, it says charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Uh, a, a sarcastic, sharp-tongued, harsh, bossy wife might be funny in the eyes of a TV sitcom viewing audiences. But Peter says a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. And finally here, Peter asks wives to uh, trust their husbands. It's kind of like submitting, but maybe has more to do with taking this posture where you're willing to follow their lead and trust their decisions. Look at verses 5 and 6. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God. Again, I think he puts that in there because he wants to constantly remind you that it's really more about trusting God. They used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you've become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So the example Peter gives here is of Sarah obeying Abraham. Which is super interesting, right? Uh, and again, I know what you're thinking. My husband, he just isn't as trustworthy as Abraham. Abraham is this like giant of the faith. He's just amazing. But if we were to stop and put ourselves in Sarah's shoes for a minute and think about some of the things Abraham asked her to do, it's kind of crazy, right? Okay, uh, Sarah, God has told us that we need to move Pack up everything, leave our family, and move. Like, how many of you wives, if your husband came home and said that, would be like, yay, okay, let's go. No, where? Where are we moving? Who, wh- how do you know it was God that said it? Where are we? I don't know where we're supposed to go. It's kind of that direction, I think. He'll tell us when we get there. Like, uh, just trust me. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Okay, so Sarah, even though you're literally 99 years old, You're going to have a baby. It's going to be great. Uh, Wait, (laughs) what? Trust me. Now, God knows what he's doing. It's going to be all right. Uh, Okay, so uh, Sarah, I'm a little bit nervous about this whole King Abimelech guy. And so we're just going to tell everybody that you're my sister. Is that okay? 
Well, no, what? Okay, trust me, it'll be all right. Okay, fine. Uh, okay, so Sarah, I'm going to take our miracle child Isaac and we're going to go up to this mountain here uh, and do some sacrificing. Just trust me, it'll be fine. We'll be back in a few days. Like, th- think about the things that Abraham asked, asked Sarah to trust him with. Some of those things are, are like God-ordained, God-led things. Some were just crazy ideas that Abraham had. And I'm sure that with some of those things, she was a little nervous. We know because it says in the Bible that she scoffed at the idea of having a baby at 99. But even though she must have been a little bit apprehensive, she still trusted her husband. Because ultimately, she understood that God was in control, that He was leading. It's really more about trusting God. I think that's why Peter says, you've become her child if you do what is right and don't become frightened by any fear. How many wives, you don't have to raise your hand, sometimes are a little anxious, sometimes a little fearful, sometimes a little worried. Right? Some, anybody? That could happen. Uh, and part of the reason uh, for that is because as wives, it's your job to care about things. It's your job uh, to be concerned. It's your job. Like you're not going to be able to do all those Proverbs 31 wife things without being uh, a little bit attention to detail oriented, right? It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to get clarification. You don't have to blindly trust. But Peter also encourages you not to be controlled by fear. Pray for your husband. Trust him. Rest in the fact that making him the head of the household was totally God's idea, so he's the one that's responsible for what happens next. Okay, so next it's time for uh, Peter's instruction to the husbands. I see we're out of time, so let me pray. Uh, No, you're not getting off that easy. Look at verse 7 again. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she's a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. That last part is scary, right? I mean, there's something about the way in which we need to treat our wives that's going to affect our relationship with God. If we don't do the things that He's telling us to do, It's like heaven closes up and God doesn't hear. That's not something we want. That's not a place that we need to be in. Uh, Making sure that our relationship with our wives is is healthy and is strong and is where it should be, is God-honoring, is absolutely crucial in our relationship with God. The first thing he says is, live with her. And I don't want to overlook this seemingly obvious statement. Because in the Greek, it suggests more than just like we live in the same house. No, this is, this is more like a figure of speech that, that talks about intimacy and closeness. Be close to her. Be, be near to her physically and emotionally and spiritually. In that, in that love and respect book, he talks about how sometimes a wife will come across more critical and harsh, even than she intends to, maybe, in this desperate cry for closeness, for her husband to, to draw in closer to her. But, but in that, he feels disrespected and unvalued and unappreciated, and he bails, he withdraws in order to, in order to like insulate and protect his fragile ego. 
And then they, they both, through this, just float further and further and further apart. Don't do that as husbands. Don't allow that to happen. It's your responsibility as the husband to move closer to your wife and to let her know that you love her and that you care for her and that you're there for her. Even at times when she seems barbed, uh, it's still your responsibility to take that and move closer. It's, it's humbling. It's going to be humbling. Do it anyway. Next, he says we need to know our wives. We're to live with them in an, in an understanding way. And I don't know if Peter's saying that we need to understand all women. I'm not sure that's possible. But he is saying you should know your wife pretty well, or at least be working towards that goal. That means that we need to spend time talking to our wives and getting to know them, asking them about their day, asking them about their feelings and their concerns. Every day, all the time. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Understand what makes your wife feel loved and secure and do those things. Understand what makes your wife feel annoyed and irritated and stop doing those things. Understand that she has this need for a, a face-to-face time talking and sharing and she needs a listening ear and affection and, and give her those things. How long will that, that process of understanding take? I don't know. Let's see, I've been married like 23 years now and I feel like I'm just getting started. So maybe 50? I don't know. Maybe 100? Probably closer to 100. Uh, probably your whole life. Next, husbands, we need to protect our wives. He says we're, we're to live with them in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman. And there's a lot wrapped up in that. I, physical protection is maybe part of it. I think Peter has that in mind because generally men are stronger physically than women. We're called to use that strength to guard her and to protect her and to keep her safe and to make her feel safe. And never use that strength to intimidate or abuse or make her feel unsafe. Because there, there's few things that are more unmanly, evil, than a man abusing a woman. I, I think maybe uh, some of the things that are inherent in Peter's comments here are, are more explicitly stated in Paul's words. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Christ was willing to sacrifice, give himself up for the church. We are supposed to love our wives like that, like Jesus, to the point of being willing to sacrifice everything for them. I think that also means being emotionally and spiritually strong for our wives, not just physically. Because again, there's going to be those times when it seems like she's being disrespectful and hurtful and we just want to hide and run. And again, maybe because she's crying out for love and attention. But as stubborn men, we don't get it. We don't see it. Peter's trying to help us see it. We need to be stronger. We need to be willing to take some hits. 
even from our wife, and move in closer to her. To gently love them and guard them, meet their need to be loved, even, even when she's struggling, especially when she's struggling. I'll be honest, I think sometimes it's difficult for uh, a men to, to do this, even with a wife who's super gentle and respectful. Because it still requires us to be humble and to be thoughtful. But man, this feels like it's almost impossible to, to take the, the verbal hits from a wife who's, who's frustrated and who, who seems contemptful and still move towards her with love and with patience and with forgiveness and with grace. But man, that's what we've been called to do here. We're called to act like men and be strong for our wives. And by doing that, we show them honor. Peter says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Honor your wife as someone who was created in the image of God and is equally loved and valued by Him. Yeah, sure, husbands and wives have, have different roles and responsibilities and different strengths and different weaknesses. We're not the same, but we are both equal in the eyes of God. Equal heirs of the grace of life. Honor your wife. Honor her unique needs. Honor her differences and thank God for them. Honor her strengths. Honor her as someone who God has given you to help make you holier. Really, the whole goal of the teaching of Peter here in this letter is change. It's transformation. It's to, it's to change things. He's teaching us how to effectively bring about change in our lives and in our world. But the, the change that he's talking about is doing things that are the opposite of what we think we're supposed to do. It's the opposite of what we think we have to act like in order to bring about change. It's not through, through like rebellion and open opposition and arguing and fighting. But these, these rebellious hearts that we have, coupled with the fact that we live in a world that's messed up and fallen and broken, makes us want to fight. We, we just, we want revolution. We want things to be different. That's just uh, inherent to who we are. We want revolution with the government. We want reform in the workplace. We want a cultural revolution in the home. And so we fight and we argue and we protest and we write mean things on our Facebook wall and we badmouth our boss and we yell at our spouse. But, but here, Peter's saying, look at Jesus. Jesus brought a revolution, a real one. Complete change. Jesus came and brought a total shift in everything. But He didn't bring a revolution through fighting or rebellion, violence. He brought it through sacrifice and through love. He showed us that change was going to come through grace and through gentleness and through patience. N not through angry rebellion. And He's the example that we're supposed to follow. 
And by following Jesus' example, we'll see change. But real change. Lasting change. And we'll see it in our city, and we'll see it in our government, and we'll see it in our workplaces, and we'll see it in our homes. By doing things in our old nature's way, all we see is more violence and anger and rebellion and fighting frustration. But, but what if, what if uh, peace and joy really do come through submission and sacrifice? What if following the example really will bring about some changes in our lives? I don't know. It's worth a try, right? There's, uh, there's this great Christian conference that uh, is put on by uh, Family Life. It's called Weekend to Remember. Uh, and, and I want to give a weekend away. Somebody's donated that to the church, and I want to like, make it available to somebody here. Uh, you don't have to have a horrible marriage to go. Uh, Camille and I went a number of years ago and really enjoyed it and, and benefited from it, and it was great. Uh, if you would like to be a part of that, if you would like to go and just strengthen your marriage and make it better and, and build on some of the things that we've been talking about this morning, here's what I want you to do. Grab one of those cards from the seat in front of you and just write your information on it and write somewhere on it like marriage conference and, and drop it in one of the offering boxes. And uh, I'll let the second service have a chance to uh, vie for it also and then I'll put all the cards in a hat and pick one and call you and you'll get to go and it'll be awesome. And if nothing else, it's a weekend away from kids and everything else. So there's that. Uh, that's fun. It's February 7th through 9th in, in Napa. So there's that. Uh, let's pray. God, I do thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace to us. I thank you for the fact that you do uh, change things, that you've affected a change in our hearts and in our lives individually. God, help us to be able to, to share this cure for the curse with everybody that we know, God. This gospel, this hope, this salvation that we have through Jesus. Now, this idea of submitting, it sounds hard and crazy. It goes against everything that, that our old nature wants to do. But God, we trust You. We trust that You're in control. We trust that you are in charge, even of the uh, messed up leaders that we have in government, or even when we have a, a boss who's against the things of Jesus, you're still in control. Even though sometimes we have a spouse who might not always be perfect, ultimately, God, you're still in control. And we recognize that this submission is really more about trusting you and loving You and focusing on You. Help us to do that better, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.